Good morning. Good morning. Hi. <laughs> I am going to, um, let me, uh, just as, because we're going through Romans and kind of in the thick of it, and so just a really brief where we are. Um, we've been talking about in, in 118, Romans 1, starting in 18, Paul starts addressing those Christians, primarily Jewish Christians in the Roman church, who believe themselves to be superior to the Gentile Christians because they were Jewish and they were from Abraham and they were a part of Israel and they were God's chosen people. And I, in our way of thinking about that, because we don't have that kind of situation as near as much at all today, think of it as there are certain, and we, you've probably experienced this, maybe you were at one time one of these, you know, there's oftentimes, and I'm sure I was one of these at one point, where, you know, there are certain Christians who think, well, we're the real ones. You know, we, we are the ones who really got it and the rest just aren't near as good a, as we are and we're the morally superior Christians. And Paul's addressing those people. So if he was here today, he'd be addressing those kind of people. And what he's going to do in chapter 3, if we go to the first slide, verse uh, 23. Oh, wait, there we go. He's going to kind of sum it all up here. He's had this, he's going through this big argument with himself, but kind of like he's arguing with the people, but he's kind of asking all the questions, playing devil's advocate, and then answering his own questions. And then he kind of sums this whole thing up about what they think about the Gentiles and, and how they're just as bad. And he says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Done. We're all... Sinners, okay? We, I mean, that's encouraging, but we know that, right? We're just all sinners. We all fall short. Remember, this all began with they exchanged the glory of God. Romans 1, 19, I think. 20. And he's going to say, we all have exchanged the glory of God. Every one of us. There's no, like, this is better than this. These people are better than these people. I often have, and for them it was, Jews aren't better than Gentiles. We probably have our own. A, a discussion I seem to find myself in, I think probably all of us do, is the certain sins discussion. I've had two, I have two of them this week. And, um, and, and, you know, it's the, it's the, well, certain sins, those are the, the really bad ones. And those are the ones we really need to discuss, discussion. And it, they're usually our favorite sins, or what I mean by that is not our favorite ones to do. It's never those. <laughs> it's our favorite ones to dislike. And when those discussions happen, and it came up, in, in a discussion this week, you know, certain passages, and there's four or five of them that we go to in the New Testament, maybe and maybe a little bit in the Old Testament, and which and somebody will point out, see, you know, three times Paul talks about this. And and it's true, whatever that specific sin is for that person that they want to 
dimension. But I, I often notice that what we do is when we do that is, is we don't continue reading because in the same verse, the very same verse, there's about eight or nine others mentioned. And what I notice is that the, there's a couple that I do that are mentioned in the exact same verse. And you know what? There's a couple that you do that are mentioned in the exact same verses. We want to treat the sins that other people do as different and more severe. And what Paul is saying is, nope, it's all wrapped up. All have sinned. All short of the ground. Now, I left the other verses in there. But they are justified freely by his, Jesus, God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All of them. All. By grace. Where then is boasting? That's really important because that's what this one group of people have been doing. The weak in Rome have been boasting and they're going to, Paul's going to talk a lot about boasting. It is excluded. There is no boasting in the Christian life in the sense of we are better than anyone else. We are sinners just as them, just grace of God's come to us. By what kind of law? Torah. Not law, Torah, think Old Testament. By what kind of Old Testament? That might help us. Not exactly what it means, but that'd be the way to think about that. Of works? No. But by a law of faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. There's a lot of theological language in these verses. Put it as simply as possible, is it's when it talks about justification, redemption, it's being made right with God. Being brought into peace in our relationship with God. Having our relationship with God restored happens only by grace and faith and nothing else. Not by reaching some great standard. Because God loves us, gave his life for us so that we could freely, as Jeff talking about, have our sins wholly forgiven and be freely brought back into a relationship with God. Now when he says works of the law here, we think, well, see, you gotta, gotta do stuff. But when, when we think of works, works of Torah might help us. Because that's what he's saying, works of Torah. When we move this into our context, I, and I, I know I probably have thought this, is what I'm thinking is that not, that being good gets you to heaven. That's what we're thinking Paul is talking about here. But he is wholly unconcerned with that. He is absolutely, this has nothing to do with those in our context who would say, well, I'm going to heaven because I'm good. Paul's just not talking about that 
at all. He's talking about something entirely different. He's talking about Torah, which is really cultural identity markers. And what he's saying is that being circumcised and observing the Old Testament system of rules about cleanliness and purity and laws, that's what he's talking about, is not required to be what we might say is saved or to go to heaven or to have a right relationship with God. But that's exactly what the weak in Rome, those who are judging others, are. what they're doing is they're saying in order to really be a Christian, you need to be circumcised, become like us, the Jewish people. That's what he is talking about in this section. Now that's oversimplified because you can go and read dozens and dozens of books that spend 500 pages discussing this. But just take that oversimplification and that's all you need. <laughs> that's what he's going, what's going on here. So there's no boasting. And, and really it's just our concept of if, if my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds, I'll go to heaven. That's really not what Paul's talking about in, in this passage at all. So we go to the next slide, and Paul's going to continue this dialogue that he's having with himself, but now he's going to start talking about Abraham. And Abraham would have been the, the father of Israel, he was the patriarch, and, and they would have put so much stock in the fact that they, they came from Abraham. It would have meant so much to them. And so Abraham's, God's, Paul's going to bring Abraham up, and he's going to say this. He's going to do it with all these questions that he's been asking. He's got a whole bunch of them. It says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, when we think of Abraham, and so let me set this, the stage for Abraham. In, um, in, in Genesis 11, we have the Tower of Babel. So we have, the, we have the flood in Noah. When the flood happened, right before the flood, God, you know, the whole world was corrupt and violent and all this bad stuff going on. And God's like, oh, no, you know, and I'm, he's just going to this, allow this flood to consume the earth. And then we have Noah, and he, he comes because Noah's a righteous man. He's, he saves Noah, has him build a boat. And then Noah gets off the boat and, you know, stuff just spirals down really, really fast. And then we get to the Tower of Babel where the world is all of one language and they all come together. They build this tower to heaven. And what that means is it's a rejection of God. The entire world has decided to live a life build a world without God to become God themselves. That's why they wanted to build it to heaven. That they might become God themselves. And God looks down again in the whole world again. Just, you know, and, and we don't know the exact years. Some people try to guess at how much time there is. But between that and then we get to Abraham. Maybe 100, maybe 200. I don't know. 
No one knows. The Bible doesn't say. And I think what we think is, in that time he sees this tower, you know, and he destroys the tower, and he scatters people all across the world, gives them all kinds of languages. I think, I've always thought that he looked down and he saw Abraham, who was a good guy, like Noah. And he thought, well, here's the good guy. I'm going to call him. I'm going to get him. But that's not what happened. Genesis never says that at all. Abraham, actually, what we're going to find, and what Paul is going to tell us here, is, was no different. Remember, he, we, he had just said there is none who does good in, in chapter 3. There is none who seeks for God. I think Abraham was a good guy who was seeking God, but it never says that about Abraham. He says, not even Abraham can boast that there was something good in him for God to choose him. But what happened is God, God chose, he comes to Abraham in the midst of the mess. He chooses Abraham, he blesses Abraham because he wanted to. That's the sole reason. Abraham did nothing. God just wanted Abraham to be blessed. And then, after God came and blessed Abraham and gave him these promises and worked with him for a little while, then it says, Abraham believed God. So God reckoned to him as righteous. Now, he did not believe God because he was righteous. God made him righteous because he believed. We go to the next slide. It goes on. He says this. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, as grace. Grace, faith, if we want it to be by our good deeds, or whatever I call it, we eliminate grace. We take grace out. You can't find favor with, you can't find God's pleasure, you can't get right with God by what you do and how you live because then you separate yourself from grace. It's just God's love for you and grace towards you that allows it to happen. And then verse five, he says, but to the one who does not work. Who's he talking about there? Abraham. It's still in context. He's talking about Abraham was not the guy who worked. Abraham is the guy who does not work, but believes in him who justified. That's what it just said, who is Abraham. And then look at this next word, the ungodly. Before God came to Abraham, he was the ungodly. What he's saying to the Jews, oh, your patriarch, your forefather, the one you boast about, he was no better than the Gentiles. And in essence, before God declared him righteous and chose him, he was a Gentile. So you 
folks who are so against these Gentiles, guess what? You know the thing, finding your roots. I've, I've never watched them. I've seen the commercials, and it's always you find something wonderful about you. You were from this amazing thing. You know, you're, it's just there, your ancestry. It's like somebody super famous. Well, no, when you go back, we're all sinners. That's what he's telling them. Oh, here's your roots. Ungodly. It's just there. His faith is credited, though, because he believed as righteousness. Next slide. Now he switches. He says, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteous apart from the works. Blessed are those who lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. So the three heroes of Israel, Abraham, Moses, and David, he takes two of them here in these couple of verses and he just cuts them down. And not in a, in a wrong, he's just saying, look, all of you, your heroes were people whose lawless deeds were forgiven. Who is blessed? The people without lawless deeds? No. The people whose lawless deeds have been forgiven. Those are the ones that God blesses. I think we waste too much time trying to get to the point where we have no longer have lawless deeds. We need to focus on the fact that God forgives our lawless deeds. That's really the only way to stop lawless deeds. The more you get your forgiveness, the more you make progress, the more you grow. That needs, that needs to be our focus. Sure, it's important to, you know, we can address things and all of that, but it must come from this massive foundation of I'm forgiven. Paul, in Romans later on, will, he, he will emphasize it so much that people are saying, Paul, are you saying that we should keep sinning so that we get more grace and so we should try to sin? And he says, no! But he's, he emphasizes our forgiveness to such an extent that that's what people should say about us. In one sense. If we're going to confuse folks, we want to confuse them on forgiveness. Um, next slide. So he moves back here in verse 9. He says, Is this blessing then upon the circumcised or upon the uncircumcised also? So he goes from works. He talks about now circumcision. So it's just making it really clear what he's talking about here. It's the work of circumcision, becoming like the Jewish people that is the concern. 
For he says, faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it reckoned? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Like this. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. That he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, not through Torah, but through the righteousness of faith. We have a righteousness of faith. It's because of our belief in Jesus that we are righteous and only because of that. Because of what he's done for us. That is, and, and there's no boasting when you have that, right? You know, people say, you know, you think you're better. Christians think they're better than us. Well, not because we're better, but because <laughs> God has forgiven us. So in one sense, you could say, well, we're forgiven. If that's better, but the only boasting we have, Paul says, is in Jesus, in the cross. All we can ever boast in. I think that would be so transformational if that's all Christians ever boast in. That was all we boasted in, nothing else. The cross. The next slide says, for if those, in verse 14, who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For this reason is by faith, that it might be in accordance with grace. He just keeps saying this over and over again. Faith and grace and nothing else. Faith and grace and nothing else. In order that the promise may be certain to all. If you have to be circumcised, if you have to follow Torah, it's not for everyone. It's not just for one group of people. It's everyone. And then he says, not only to those who are of the law, yes, it's for the Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all of us. So there's a lot of theology here, and there's also a lot of he's trying to deal with the the, the, the judging and condemning that's going on in the church, but there's one other thing that I want to look at here that he's looking at, and this is, he is dealing with, it's, he's talking about the mission of the people of God also. And, and what has happened? We have a mission of grace to the world. Our mission to the world is one of grace and faith. And I think that's a really good way to look at it. The gospel is a thing of grace and faith to the world. And what's happening in Rome is they have taken that gospel mission of grace and faith and they have added stuff to it. And it's destroying the mission to the world. They have added their cultural superiorities. their heritage, their way of doing things to the gospel. 
And Paul does not want that. He is correcting that. And, you know, and we can have this maybe in a discussion time, is that it's kind of like they're saying to become a Christian, the gospel says you need to be like the Jews. We, we can do that too. Well, we're not saying like the Jews. It's not circumcision for us. But we have our add-ons, like a computer program. We add things on to the gospel. Now, we don't say it when we share the booklet, but we do say it. We do add things on to the gospel. I listened to a little podcast Tim Keller was on. And he was talking about this, and, and he was just sharing some of the things we tend to do, some of the things we can, we can add on to that simple gospel message. And, and one of them was, um, he called it separatist, or separatism, I'm not exactly sure how, what word he used, but this concept of isolating ourselves and, and kind of building a wall around us, so that we are unaffected by the world. Now, I, it's important, as Christians, we are distinct. The, the New Testament calls us aliens and strangers. And we are different. But we are never to withdraw. We are never to isolate ourselves from this world. Now, we are, to, we are to fully engage in the world. Now, we are to do that without conforming to cultures. And I say cultures because there's not one culture. There are all kinds of cultures in this world we can conform to. You know, our, our number one culture to not conform to that we talk about is our, our world's sexual culture. But another one would be our world's materialistic culture of greed. We don't talk about that one near as much, because that one's not as bad. <laughs> sure it is. And, and there's multiple cultures that we can conform to. We have a mission to our Gentile world only our Gentiles are different than theirs. Their Gentiles were ethnicity. When, when the terms in the New Testament, sinners and Gentiles, were used, you know, we tend to just sinners, yeah, we're all sinners, but it's, it's derogatory. And it's speaking about the people who are so far from God, they are beyond redemption the unclean. And there are folks in our world who, as Christians, we at times think they are beyond redemption. They are so far from God. And that's part of the mission, the people we've been called to. Folks like that. God wants, and just some practical stuff here. I, I think it's really important. What we need to learn to do is we need to learn how to, as Jesus did, engage in a way that he talked about being, he was, he 
the incarnation. We need to be incarnational with people. So Jesus was God. He became one of us. And the Bible said to dwell with us. He dwelt among us. We all have worlds that we need to live in. It could be your job. It could be your neighborhood. Whatever, family. There's, there's a world of Gentiles and sinners. All of us have. God wants us dwelling among them. Now, for all of us, that's going to be different based on your situation, your personality, how you do that. Some people, you, they, they need to get involved in a kind of a, a ministry to very specific people. That's great. Homeless people or, you know, immigrants. And that's fantastic. But not everybody is that what they do. For others, it's just those in their neighborhood or, or those on their work. You, know, you probably have enough Gentiles there. Enough people who seemed beyond redemption. And we probably shouldn't have to go very far to find folks like that. They're just everywhere. Because all, there are none who seeks God. None who does good. And I, I just, a little, maybe a little practical thing is, is to think, okay, who are the people? And, and, and I know we're not supposed to think this way as Christians, but we all do. Who are the people or the group that you would consider the, the real Gentile? Just you think that through yourself in your own heart. And it's different for all of us. You know, for someone on the right, it's someone on the left. Someone on the left, someone on the right. And maybe just get to see that as this is to God maybe telling me he wants me to bring Jesus to folks like that. And what I mean by that is not go tell them that they're Gentiles <laughs> beyond redemption, but to dwell among them. To live like Jesus did. You know, just read your gospel. It just shows you what he did amongst those who were looked at, the sinners and the Gentiles. And make that just something that you begin to do. And I don't think you'll have to go and necessarily join an organization to accomplish that. I think you probably have people like that already in your life. God would like you to engage with them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, for your word and for your grace that we, Lord, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but, but, we know we're all sinners. We don't have to be convinced of that. But you, Lord, by grace, 
faith have made us right with you. And you are pleased with us. We are in right relationship. Thank you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. Further on in that very same chapter that, that I read from earlier, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. He didn't actually say it out loud. He answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more than that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And that is the gospel version of what Mike was sharing in Romans today. Let's sing one last song together and then a quick little benediction.
Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. So our service is over, so but what we will do